This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha and Sainz. 20 years ago, President George W. Bush made this announcement. At this hour... American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. These are opening stages of what will be a broad and concerted campaign. Two decades since the start of the Iraq war, we're looking at the far-reaching impacts of a conflict that killed hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians and 4,500 U.S. military personnel. We're reflecting on this anniversary with Ikram Anand. She's an Iraqi refugee and the director of development at MIRA, the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance in Chicago. Ikram, how are you making sense of 20 years since the Iraq war started? Okay, so... um at the beginning, uh, we thought that America is coming to free us and get rid of Saddam's regime. As um, he was a, a dictator, he led our country for, from war to war. Uh, adding to that, we had like 12 years of economy sanctions that did not affect the, the government, unfortunately, that just affected the Iraqi people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only Iraqi people, who is the one who was affected and they were suffering from the sanctions? Um, so we had like a high expectations that America will come and free us from Saddam. Sure. Does it does it feel like 20 years for you? Honestly, um, I'm, I'm just I just feel like very emotional now. Sure. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> feels like yesterday. Yeah. Right. It does feel like yesterday. Yeah. Well, you were living in Iraq. So at the time, what was it like hearing messages at and newscast that the United States might be invading your country. Yeah, as I told you, as Iraqi at that time, you know, because of the the, uh, Saddam Hussein regime, we were separated from the whole world. We didn't have satellite. We had only two, uh, like, TV, local TV channel. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really know what's going on outside. So what what we knew, like, that America is coming to free us, so that that's what makes us feel like really good and excited that there's finally we get rid we will get rid like of Saddam Hussein. So we didn't really know what's going on. Like we didn't call it invasion. We just mm-hmm. called it maybe it's they, they are coming to help us. Did it seem like many of your own family members and friends when they were talking about this this invasion or the United States were coming, did they did they view it like you sort of almost like a positive thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we were happy. At that day, I remember that day, actually, we were home. And when we heard that Saddam Hussein is gone, 
we, like people was dancing in the streets and we we started seeing the American troops coming in our street and people was just like very excited, waving at them and welcoming them, you mm-hmm. know. So I, that's what happened that day. But probably talking about after a couple of years when the radical groups started fo- like like forming and, mm-hmm. you know, they they just uh, considered America as an enemy. And that's when it started getting like, you know, mm-hmm. street war, um, conflict and people started like, you know, killing people in the streets, like, you know, threatening people's life. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's what that's what happened, actually. Mm-hmm. What was your was your perspective starting to change? How did how did your perspective evolve since the U.S. occupation occupation took a long time? Um, so honestly, as I mentioned, in 2000, uh, like 2005, actually, when things started shifting and we like, as example, whoever works with the U.S. armies, they started feeling threatened by Iraqi people, by the, these radical groups, you know. So things started getting really worse, like f- starting from 2005 till, let's say, till we left, till we did, mm-hmm. we t- till 2012. So um, I just I just believe that maybe America they they didn't plan well for this. Mm-hmm. They just like um, you know they didn't really have like even any idea about about the culture about you know the weather. Right. So I I remember that uh, the, the American troops they came with with the, with their cars without AC, mm-hmm. and they found out that at Iraq it's a, it's like Arizona. I mean they might really you know like. Um, you know, right, they might right. die because of the of the heat. So um, my thought is, America they they weren't like really ready for this, mm-hmm. and they didn't plan like well for it. What happened when when U.S. troops left, and how did that factor into your decision to leave? Unfortunately, that was really bad decision uh, from America because they started something like can you start, can you imagine like starting an operation, a hard operation, and the doctor just decided to leave in the middle. So I just think that this, this is what happened in Iraq. Uh, because when, when American um, troops left Iraq, they left us with a very corrupted um, government, um, unsafe situations, and chaos in all sectors of life. And Iraq became like open country for radical gr- groups like ISIS to, to come in and destroy the country without any... You know, like without any like like bigger power to stop them from doing this. Right, right. So, what was it like when you first arrived here? Um, I mean, I'm gonna definitely speak from my experience. When I came 2012, that was like moving to the state was the most difficult experience in my life. You know, because of the language barrier, culture shock, emotional separation from family, and I found out myself that I need to start from scratch. I have to start everything from scratch. Now, your your husband was working already in the United States at the time? He he did. I mean, that's why we got special immigration visa in 2012, and we were able to come from Iraq directly to Chicago. How did you find yourself initially in Chicago? Did you already have any kind of other friends and relatives here? How, why Chicago? Uh, my family-in-law, they came uh, as a refugee in 2008, so mm-hmm. that's why we, we picked Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. And we decided to come and see if we're going to like it or not. But here we go. We're still here. <laughs> did you, did you, what did you know about Chicago then? Anything? Nothing, actually. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. So when, when we came, I was like really shocked. Uh, it's a big city. There is a lot mm-hmm. of um, like people from different countries, mm-hmm. different nationalities, different accents. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me feel scared to speak English, actually, at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right. So th- that was like a, a big thing for me, like to you know, to to go out and do my own stuff by myself. So that was like the hardest thing, actually. All right. All right. This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons. We're marking the 20th anniversary of the start of the Iraq War. Ikram Anand is with us to reflect. She's an Iraqi refugee and the director of development at MIRA. That's the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance in Chicago. Now, I understand when you got to the United States, you be you became a tailor. Tell us a little about, about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, I studied computer science in Iraq. I worked with a few uh, like nonprofit organizations, American organizations like uh, the USAID and another American organization that do like uh, community development in the north of Iraq. So when I came to the state, I found out myself that my English was very weak. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, adding to that the trauma about being separated from family in a new country. So I decided to go to college to mm-hmm. improve my English. And I decided to get a job just to get myself out of my house and doing things just to adjust to the life here. Yeah, so my first job was working in a small store in downtown Evanston. Uh, like, I, I haven't been like a tailor in my life, but mm-hmm. but I, I like this, you know, as a hobby. And I found out myself working there for one year. Uh, I have learned a lot, actually. And that's what led me to apply for Nordstrom. Uh, my first official job was um, Nordstrom. at Nordstrom Michi- Michigan Avenue. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a big step for me. Wow. I worked a couple of years, but after that, I felt like I, re- I really want to like follow, sure. follow my, sure. my passion, sure. you know, to work with a nonprofit that helps refugees and immigrants in Chicago area. Well, tell us about your work with MIRA, the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance. You know, how, what's it like working there and who are the people you serve? Yeah. So in 2017, I remember I had um, like, uh, look, like we were slow at Nordstrom and I, I took like a month off. That's when I, I, I decided to volunteer to one of like the churches uh, in, in Afghanistan. Um, I, I, I went one day and I found out there is like a lot of families who speak Arabic and no one speaks Arabic there with the volunteers. So that just that day, I remember I came back home with with my my heart was like very overwhelmed. And I felt like I really want to like help refugees in this area. I just felt like I, I can really use my my own story to help them. So I, I got to work with the, with the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance in 2017. Uh, I'm the director of develop, development. I lead a woman empowerment program which is we help the women, um, we lead them like to be more independent, you know, through like education, through uh, helping them like to start their own business sure. uh, and, and all of that. So, uh, adding to that, like at my organization, we help with case management, we have legal service. Uh, so we like, like uh, our mission is to build um, like uh, a community for refugees in Chicago area. What is it like to be a refugee and, and from your perspective, what do refugees need most? Um, as, as I mentioned, f- from my experience, people, like, people when they come here, um, they, they are definitely traumatized, like coming from uh, like a war area um, to a new country that they need really to start all over. 
to start from scratch. So they definitely need like um, like support at least like the five the, the first five years. Um, I mean, with education, with case management, with uh, legal service. Um, they need mental health support, and that's what's what's missing in in my community. Actually, that um, like nobody really cares about the mental health, uh, you know, like uh, the mental issues in the refugee community, which is that that affect everything because no, no one can be like really committed to a job if they, they if they have de- depression and anxiety or or if they are traumatized. So that's how we we decided as organization to take the step actually and to start uh, making awareness about mental health. Um, also, you know, like we do a lot of big events. We try to bring people together. We, we try to change the way that the bigger community look at refugees because refugees, I believe that they have a lot of talents. They have a lot of good things to give to the community if they get the help that they need when they come here. Right. Is, is there enough resources for refugees when, when they come here? Do you think the city and the state provides enough resources? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest about that. Um, Go ahead. So I just we believe that <laughs> America, then they're not even having, a, they don't have a good plan actually to work with refugee community because like when, when people comes here, the resettlement agencies, they help them for three months. And trust me, after that, they just leave them in the street. <laughs> that, that's how I feel. That, mm-hmm. that, that, that's how I felt when I came to the state. Like after three months, I, ha- I had to uh, deal with, uh, you know, with, with my rent. I have to deal with my, uh, you know, uh, education. I, like I didn't know where to go. So that's why I, I feel like now I'm very committed to work with uh, our organization because we are not a resettlement agency. We, are, uh, we help people actually starting from three months to five years. Because you cannot like give only one, one, um, you know, like one service and that's it. I mean, you need to walk with them mm-hmm. like refugees. Trust me, like they, they come here with, with, a, with a trauma and they come here with with no English, which is that, that's a big, big actually barriers for them. Right. Like to even to pay their bills. Well, that was Ikram Anand, Director of Development at Mira. That's the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance here in Chicago. Ikram, thank you so much for your time and joining us here today on Reset. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you. Now we turn to a veteran who was part of the U.S. military invasion into Iraq 20 years ago. Thomas Day was an enlisted military journalist, and he joins us now. Great to be with you, Mike. And, And if I may briefly... I uh, just comment on on Miss Anand's story and and how heartening it is to hear her story about uh, her making a home here in Chicago and and if I could also briefly just associate myself entirely with everything she said about the need to support our refugee community. Uh, mm-hmm. Just wonderful to hear her story. Thank you, thank you. Well, Thomas, what was going through your mind? You know, today and and what 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 is going through your mind today? Twenty years after the Iraqi War started. I mean, it's been a long time, you know. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot the last you know, week or two about uh, the people, mostly. You know, the people I served with in the military. I, I've been out for, you know, 16 years, and um, I've, I've visited my base that I spent uh, three years in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, once since uh, since I got out of the military. You know, it's just kind of a period of life that I've just kind of tucked away. And, and every once in a while during, you know, uh, the holidays, uh, you know, uh, Veterans Day, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the 4th of July, I, I sometimes think about that period of life. But, you know, I spent a lot of time 
the last few weeks, uh, not just thinking about the people I served with, but but also, you know, uh, uh, the linguists that uh, that helped us out in Iraq and 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 other experiences that I had over there. It's it's, it's been a very emotional week uh, in ways mm-hmm. that kind of surprised me, frankly. Does it feel like twenty years? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I, I can still kind of feel the sand underneath my feet, right? Uh, right. And, and all of the, you know, the, uh, you know, eating MREs two days, uh, two, three times a day, that, those are the packaged sure. uh, meals ready to eat that uh, you you eat when you're uh, deployed frequently. Uh, it, but yeah, I mean, it, I'm also kind of struck by, you know, how much life I've lived since I got out, right? And now, uh, I, I went back to school, got married, had a kid, uh, you know, and, and you know, the, kind of leading into another point, you know, these are the experiences that I had after I was down in the military that, you know, 4,600 men and women we lost in Iraq uh, did not get to experience for many of them. And, and, and that's, that's where... You know, I I I've really been caught in emotion the last few weeks. Is is thinking about those men and women who, you know, who didn't get the opportunity to you know leave and and build a career, build a family. Um, for many of them, uh, that's really kind of the human cost of uh, of this. It, 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 of course, not at all, not at all. Uh, you know, dismissing. The very human cost uh, that um, the people of Iraq, in, including you know uh, the, your previous guest, had to bear. Thomas, really quick, where 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 did you serve, and what was your role as a, an enlisted military journalist? Yeah, I w- so uh, I was sent with a small public affairs detachment based in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, attached to the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, then under the command of two-star Major General David Petraeus. Uh, we were sent into Kuwait uh, in late February of 2002. We weren't there for long. Um, of course, a few weeks later, the invasion was ordered and we uh, you know, we crossed in. And, um, you know, I, I participated in the invasion. Um, we got to Baghdad and then I was sent up to uh, and with my public affairs attachment up to Mosul, uh, Iraq, where we spent uh, the balance of the deployment through uh, January of 2024, uh, 2004, rather. You know, the main security concern that the Bush administration pointed to was the concern that the Iraqi government under Saddam Hussein was harboring weapons of mass destruction. Here's former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell making the case for a U.S. military invasion at the U.N. Security Council. Saddam Hussein and his regime will stop at nothing until something are stops him. Their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. None of this Iraqi should come as a surprise to any of us. Of weapons of mass destruction. It is all a web of lies. Harbors ambitions for regional domination, hides weapons of mass destruction, and provides Saddam Hussein in possession of weapons of mass destruction for a few more months or years is not an option. Not in a post-September 11th world. Well, since then, it was proven that there were no weapons of mass destruction on Iraq. So, Thomas, how, how does that sit with you? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think history has rendered a judgment um, on, on the Bush administration. And 
And there's not a great deal more I could add. Uh, uh, what I will say is this. If, if I were, and I am far from an apologist uh, of the Bush administration and, and, and President Bush and Vice President Cheney and, and, and Secretary Rumsfeld and, and the, the, the leaders that uh, charged us into uh, this conflict. Um, but if, if I were asked to defend um, the actions that got us into Iraq, uh, I, I would simply point to the remarkably different environment we were living in 2002 and 2003. You know, um, it, it, public opinion polls, and you could easily search this, uh, w- reflected you know some 70, 80 percent of the American people who wanted to go into Iraq, you know, weeks after 9/11, and uh, you know, uh, one could. One could ask themselves if, you know, if the Bush administration acted like I think history recognizes they should have and and directed uh, military intervention against those responsible for 9-11 only and not uh, and, and not a regime that had nothing to do with it. You know, how would the American people have responded um, to you know, what what you could count now is just kind of restraint and balance. I don't know. Um, you know, we, with the benefit of hindsight, of course, um, you know, the majority of the American people, mm-hmm. the vast majority of the American people, I'm sure, uh, recognize the folly of, of the invasion of Iraq. Um, but, you know, uh, our, our uh, body right. politic didn't really process the complexity of the situation in a way that uh, in retrospect, I think we all wish it had. Well, that's Thomas Day, a veteran of the Iraq War. Thank you for your time and your service, Thomas. Thank you, Mike. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Stephanie Kim and Ethan Schwab. You can check out other conversations that help you make sense of the news impacting your life wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Michael Puente. Sasha is back in the host chair tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.